Good morning. I was in the third or fourth grade, and as a kid, I was not a quick test taker. But I remember my teacher handing me a test one day. And the reason I was so slow at taking tests and usually the last person to turn my test in is because I was very methodic and in my perfectionist ways wanted to make sure I had 100. So I would check and recheck my every, every problem multiple times. I remember being handed this test by my third grade teacher, fourth grade teacher, one or the other. And soon after being handed that test, I knew the material, went straight into it. A, hand, a number of people, many of my classmates, got up and it was like soon after being handed the test, they were turning it back in. And myself and a handful of people just kept working through it. And all I could think was, man, I must be really slow today or the rest of my classmates have just given up. So I, like usual, was the last person to turn my test in. I uh, felt really good about it, though. I rechecked every answer and I expected a perfect score. The next day as I came in, I was looking for that 100 And I was handed my test back, and I had a percentage at the top of that test that was the exact opposite of a 100, with two large words in red ink that said, slow down, with an arrow pointing to the last few sentences at the end of the directions. And it said, if you've read these directions, disregard everything to this point that you've read. This is the test. I want to see who's reading the directions fully. Proceed no further Make sure your name's at the top of this test and turn it in. So because I had rushed past the directions and got straight to the material, wanting to perform uh, out of my own test anxiety to do my very best, I missed a very key ingredient. In my rushing ahead, missed that key detail that led to a consequence of me failing this test. Now, the truth is, I didn't need my teacher to teach me the words slow down. I'd heard them many times, many years before that, from my own mother. So for all the mothers out there, to the motherly out there, to my own mom, I want to say happy Mother's Day. Because as I was racing through my house as a kid after my sister, or wrestling with my brother, or just sprinting around the wet deck of the community pool, my mother would yell at a shrill, slow down, because she wanted me to be safe. And just like my teacher, she wanted me to follow the directions and act appropriately. And whether they knew it or not, they were both wanting me to respond like Jesus. If you've learned anything from the life of Jesus through the Gospels, you've seen and witnessed one thing. Jesus, in his ministry and through his life, was absolutely never in a hurry. In fact, one of his known friends dies, and Jesus shows up three days later, only to raise that same friend from the dead. He was just never hurried. And even though the culture around him beckoned urgency from him, he was never shaped by that culture, but rather he came to change the world. And his pace of life and his resoluteness had a tendency to shape and get the attention of the culture around him. And he expects the same of his disciples. As we get into this passage today and we look at our very next discipline, slowing down, we're going to do so in a really unique way. See, Last week, and if you didn't get to hear that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, but a cliff notes of last week is this, that Jesus is coming right back into Jewish culture, into Galilee, where he's left three months of ministering with the Gentiles. And as he re-enters, he's immediately confronted by religious leaders, and in that confrontation, Jesus sees their rejection of him, and he says, beware of the yeast or the practices of religious leaders that demand your earning and 
uh, reject those that are like Herod, who are secular, who just live for themselves and worship themselves. So what he says to his disciples, he says, do not practice legalism because you can't earn a favor from God that you already have. And he says, don't also don't embrace, you should reject liberalism because we're not here for ourselves, we're here for others. Don't live like the religiously earning, and don't live like the world. Well, Jesus used that word yeast, and his disciples couldn't get past it. His disciples really believed that he was literally talking about bread, and he asked them quite pointedly, why are you talking about bread? Don't you understand? Do you not comprehend? And understanding that they were not seeing his illustration in all of this, but they were only talking literally, he leads them out of that time straight into the very city that he called them from. Today, as we look at these four verses, Jesus comes out of that time where he teaches them to find true rest in him and a new way of life, and he walks them straight into Bethsaida, the home of many of these disciples. This is the home to Peter, to Andrew, to Philip, and likely Nathaniel. And it's a place where he's ministered before. Bethsaida sits regionally really close to where he fed the 5,000, which happened just months before he led into Gentile country. And those 5,000 were actually more like 20, 25,000 because we didn't count women and children. And the reason I mention this is because it's likely that these people, these townspeople of Bethsaida, the residents and the, the friends of these disciples as they were growing up, were probably likely present when Jesus fed the 5,000. And when he fed them, they wanted him to overthrow Rome. They believed that this was the Messiah, and they wanted to see what else he would do. So they, they wanted his present help. They wanted to see the magic tricks. They wanted to see the people of God rule, and they wanted Rome overthrown. So they were ready to put him on their shoulders and parade him in. As he disappears for three months and then now returns, it is undoubtedly that word has overwhelmed the region, traveling fast, that Jesus has arrived again and the crowd forms quickly concerned about the magic show for personal gain and to see what he might do next, unwilling to lose their lives to follow him like these disciples, these nomads who have left this city to follow him, and unlike the requirement of being a disciple of Jesus. They lacked one key ingredient, one key word that's evident in the preaching of John the Baptist before Jesus, affirmed in the ministry of Jesus, and it is evident today in the scriptures and in preaching on stages just like this all over the globe. And that word is repentance. They were unwilling to turn from their old ways to embrace a new way. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach in the uh, example of the practices of the world or the practices of religious culture. He wanted to teach a brand new way that was found in him. And we can be just like those who rejected him, the religious leaders of Judaism. We can be just like the townspeople of Bethsaida that just wanted what he could do, but we didn't want the person of Jesus. If we ourselves don't also repent, and that is repent of being driven by our culture and its frenetic pace instead of slowing down, and living and loving and being detailed and careful like Jesus and responding to the world like he did. We cannot be called a disciple of Jesus, but we never look or sound like him. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to repent of our old ways and embrace the new one that he offers.
So I want to jump right into this, this coming into Bethsaida in Matthew 8, verse 22. It says, They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people that look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then this man's eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I want to give you our first point. Jesus slows down the rush of the crowd. Again, word has traveled quickly. A crowd forms. They bring a man who is blind, and they want to see if Jesus will heal him. They want to see the magic, so they want to see what he'll do. And here's the thing. Jesus was always counter to culture. He was then and still is. He goes slow in this expedient culture of his day and our expedient culture day, and this stands alone. We can either let culture shape us or we, we can shape it. So Jesus, what he does is he pulls the man away from this demanding crowd. He takes him outside of the city walls because this was about healing this man. And he lets the disciples come with him, and it's about teaching his disciples simultaneously. It wasn't about the crowd. It wasn't about Bethsaida. They had already seen so many things, but yet still had not repented. They had seen, but still not trusted. They believed he could do. It was undeniable, but they were unwilling to follow. And so he's not going to do any more for them. He's coming to the end of his Galilean ministry, and it's more about his disciples and training them. And so what he does is he pulls this man aside who truly needs him and he pulls him away from the crowd and he lets the disciples come. And you need to understand that in this culture, the blind was uh, doubly a, a stigma. First, it was that a blind man could not uh, help but depend on others to guide him around. And they were often found at the city gates kneeling on the ground, begging, sitting there looking up at everyone else, unable to see, holding out uh, their, their cans for alms or for money. But they also believed religiously, they had been taught that the blind were stricken by God, hated by God. And so if anyone was to come into contact with the blind, touch them, then the disfavor of God will be transferred to that person that touched him, contacted him. Jesus touches this man multiple times. No other religious leader would have been found physically touching him due to not wanting to contact God's wrath. But Jesus touches the man by leading him away and then literally touches his, hand, his, his eyes twice. Jesus physically pulls him aside because this is about personal healing and teaching and it's not about public display. It's for the benefit of his disciples. And here's the benefit. Jesus slows down the rush for a cure. This is the first and only time we see Jesus respond like this with gradual healing. Every other time, Jesus, what he did and said, things changed immediately and the miracle happened immediately. But here, Jesus is teaching something. He's teaching that we always have a tendency to want immediacy. But immediacy denies our need to press in closer to Jesus. We all have a tendency to want to live in the matrix that we can jump into the cockpit of a military uh, helicopter and say, give me a download on how to fly this, this copter. And within seconds, we have the operation put into our brain and we know how to operate it. And we're all of a sudden a, a, an expert pilot. We 
oftentimes wish and believe or hope that that can happen spiritually, but that's not how this works. It's not how it's ever worked. We can't just beckon God for a download of peace when we're in a stressful situation. All of a sudden, we're like, got it, I'm good. That doesn't happen. Discipline takes time. It takes practice, and they aren't immediate. They are reshaping us to way, uh, to live in a new way, this new life that is found in Him. And so, This miracle is specific, and it stands alone. It is only recorded here in the Gospel of Mark. It's nowhere else in the Gospels. It is the only gradual healing we see listed in all of the Gospels. In everything Jesus does, there's purpose. And in everything Jesus does, there was teaching. And this specific miracle is just that. He is giving purpose and teaching to his disciples. He is going to go slow Because he intends to. He is offering hope and he's offering grace to his disciples as they follow him. A discipline is always going to take time. It takes practice. Practice makes perfect. In the last example, in the last sermon, these men clearly didn't understand his illustration, so they started talking literally. Here, we see him show the nature of slowing down, leading to the ability to see more clearly. Have you ever noticed things that you didn't before because you simply slowed down, took a minute to gaze around and smell the roses, if you will? Slowing down has a tendency to engage and even heighten our awareness, all of our senses, our sight, our smell, our taste, our listening. Here, Jesus is engaging these men, and he's using this physical gradual healing of this man who would have known the posture of sitting on the ground when he first touches him and he spits upon his eyes. Now the saliva had no healing powers in it, but it was probably used, many theologians believe, to just loosen the eyelids who had, that had been clasped together for so long just to open and, and probably to communicate to this man that he intended to heal him. As he asks him to open his eyes, he says that it is hazy and confusing, it's blurry, and he says that people are walking around looking like trees. Well, that probably is just showing us the, the angle by which he's looking at the rest of the world. His perspective has always been down low, and it's continued to be. Jesus is probably on his knees healing this man as he looks up at the disciples who are, who are watching and looking on. He can't see clearly, and this is... This is what he wants the disciples to understand. Like they didn't see clearly before, they didn't understand immediately, they will in time, if they'll apply the disciplines that he has, slow down and take in the details. They'll be able to see it clearly. Slowing down gives us an ability to understand more plainly. Heather and I were talking about this um, just today, actually. She teaches Chinese, uh, uh, she teaches English to Chinese students. Okay, and sometimes when she's teaching those students, they will try to communicate to her uh, about an item, but they don't know the English word. So they'll say that word in Mandarin, but she doesn't know Mandarin. And sometimes they'll even say it slower, and it doesn't help her because she still doesn't know Mandarin. It doesn't matter how slowly they say it, she still doesn't get it. But the point is this, innately in all of us, we've watched this. My, my own brother-in-law is deaf. Sometimes when people come to him for the first time and they go to talk to him, they speak slowly and they speak loudly as if he's going to suddenly hear and understand. That's, that's not the case. They, he understands as much as Heather did them speaking Mandarin to him or to her. The truth is this. 
we all innately understand that by slowing down, we can have a tendency to understand more plainly. Now, it's not going to work in uh, learning a foreign language, but we all get the principle that if we slow down, we might be able to gather that which we missed before, and we can understand more plainly. Jesus is trying to teach that to his disciples. You have to be able to slow down, recognize an individual need, be willing to sit with those that others would ostracize. You can't be forced or pushed by the culture around you. Their emergency is not your urgency. That's an old phrase, but a good one. Their emergency and lack of planning is not your urgency. You need to follow me, stay with me, and meet the need of the people that I've entrusted you and put right before you, and that's going to take time. So you have to be able to slow down and do that. Slowing down ensures our continual progress while capturing more details along the way and heightening our awareness. Slowing down leads to carefulness. Jesus slows down the rush of the carelessness in his disciples and the people around him. He's doing this to offer hope. Hope that it will be clear to these men in time that they'll understand They'll see as he does, and they will do as he does. Remember, he's months away from the cross, and he's about to leave it all to them. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching them to slow down, pay attention to the details. That they will understand everything in time. But there's grace in this, that it will take time. What seems confusing or hazy at first will become clear to them eventually, just as this man's sight clears up gradually. It speaks to the very nature of sanctification and the renewal process that we all go through when we choose to follow Jesus and become like him. Now, the moment of salvation, following Jesus, we call that justification. In that moment, in that instant, we are made clean because of the word he's spoken to us. That is true. We are instantly saved when we choose to repent. Though becoming like him and walking regularly with him in his righteousness, rather than trusting ourselves and our limited capacities as we've trained ourselves, instead of turning to him, it takes time. It takes training. We have to learn to submit to his Holy Spirit and trust his control and power to work through us and in us and trust his sovereignty over all things, all problems that we in our own limited capacity cannot fix. This illustration was a tangible manifestation in the scriptures of spiritual blindness that we spoke to last week. The disciples' blindness was temporary and would improve as they pressed further into Jesus. Yet it would take time and attention. It would require slowing down and learning the ways of Jesus so that they could live like Jesus once he was gone. We all have to be fully aware that if we're going to minister in the name of Jesus, of the needs that we're ministering to, and the only way we catch the needs of those around us is if we're paying attention, we slow down, and we care for them carefully, just like Jesus does here with this man. The, conse the consequent is true. The blindness of the religious leaders was permanent. Unfortunately, so was the impaired spiritual vision of Bethsaida, altogether separating their response from the disciples' response. Jesus took this man outside of the city walls as if to say, look, I know that you're desperate to see what I'll do again, but no more tricks are going to be done for you. No more miraculous uh, sign is going to be performed within your walls. A wicked, and gener uh, and a wicked generation demands a sign, as he said last week. He has already 
seen the decision of Bethsaida to not repent, and he's done. He's at the close of his Galilean ministry. He's only got one more miracle that's going to take place in this entire region before he goes to the cross in months, and now it's about teaching his disciples so they can respond like he does. See, today, the way this applies to us is this. Our continued rushing ahead, not repenting and not slowing down like the disciples are being asked to do here, like Jesus, has consequence. And it has consequence for the very people that he's entrusted us. It's not a consequence like the grade on the third grade test. It's far more severe. It's eternal. Our consequence in, in continuing to be pushed by a frenetic pace and going at a pace of the culture and letting it shape us versus us standing in and standing alone and shaping it makes no distinction. It, it gives us no influence, no platform, no, no, uh, no ability to shape them to meet their need, to truly love and to live and offer them hope like Jesus would. We're simply responding like the rest of the world and putting Jesus' name on it. No, we have to trust him. We have to uh, recognize there's a finality at the end of this trip to Bethsaida and there's a separation that is clear. The townspeople respond one way. The religious leaders responded one way. But the disciples responded all together a different way. They, in fact, repented. And our desire and ability to be like Jesus and the influence we can have in culture requires our being reshaped by Jesus. And their emergency, their quickness, their fastness, their hurriedness isn't, isn't, should not beckon our urgency. Our lives are cult and our culture is just fast-paced. Everything seems to move at a frenetic pace, and it can be hard to keep up. And often we feel a pressure to. But what are we missing in the process? Haven't we learned in quarantine just how much we've been missing out on? Simply because we've been forced to slow things down, heighten our senses, and just be made far more aware. Aware of each other more aware of the undone projects in our home, <laughs> most importantly, made far more aware of just how much and who we've taken for granted in all of our hurry, namely the Lord and all of his many blessings to us. Jesus was never in a hurry. And in order to be like him, we as people have to slow down. In this passage, we see Jesus slow everything down and look a man in his eyes. We see him touch his face, take him in. We see him talk to him. We see him walk him through the process of seeing clearly, truly healing him and making him whole. We, the people of Jesus, need to slow down in order for the Lord to do the very same thing with us. But we also have to slow down so that we can watch the Lord do those very same things through us. We need to pump the brakes. We need to turn and face him. This morning, I don't know if you're like me, but I am someone who struggles with the chronic disease of hurry. I, I do it in traffic. I come to a light. I look for the shortest line to get into so I can get through it fastest. When I go to the store, I'm looking for and I'm surveying all the lines to get into the one that's shortest because I want to get in and want to get out. And I have a tendency, unfortunately, to be short with those who I love most. When I have a pressing schedule to keep, the people that I love the most, I have a tendency to run over. Are you like me? Because that's not like Jesus. That's like my old life. 
And that's what I'm trying to repent of. That's what I'm trying to change. And today, you and I can. We can come to Jesus. We can confess our, our tendencies, and we can trust him to put his life by the power of his spirit in us and respond through us, whether it be in traffic, the store, to the people we love at work, wherever we have had tendency to be just overly hurried and not like Jesus. Jesus went slow. And that changed the culture around him. He's calling his, us, his disciples, his followers, his church, to go slow that we might influence just like he did. This morning, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his willingness to come and be uh, different, God, to change the world as we know it. And we as his people who have come to know life because of his sacrifice because of his love for us, they're called to love and live just like him. God, we need to be a people who are willing to slow down and reshape culture rather than be shaped by it because of what Jesus did and what he desires to continue to do in our lives every day as he advances his gospel, advances that hope and love, advances eternity in his kingdom from one heart to another through us as church. I ask for this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to respond, and the band's about to come back, but I'm going to ask you to respond in one of three ways because response requires action. Repentance requires action, and that's what we're doing when we come to the Scriptures. We're seeking to respond and repent. Today, I want you to take inventory over your own impatience. Maybe that's in traffic. Maybe that's with your family. Maybe that's in line at the store. Maybe in a way that I haven't listed. I want you to evaluate how demanding you are of the right of way. How much you demand your way versus offering right of way to someone else. Instead of your being chivalrous, being respectful, being kind, being careful and caring. How much are you just forcing people to do it your way? Maybe today you need to pause as the band comes and plays and they pray over us. And we can join in that prayer by confessing to the Lord and committing to change this habit. That's our repentance. This morning, maybe you need to respond by considering who it is you need to apologize to for your fast pace. Maybe you're running over people that matter and really matter to you and really matter to Jesus. Who do you need to apologize for for your fast pace? Because you've been running over them. Who are you running over? Today, as you sit here and you hear the band play and sing this prayer over us, maybe you need to respond by writing a list of who you need to go to and humbly ask forgiveness for not loving them and living in the example of Jesus before them, that you don't want to run over them anymore. You want to lift their needs above your own, just like he expected us to. And lastly, as always, if you're listening today and you need prayer, you simply want to talk further, we would love the opportunity to minister to you further you can reach out to us at prayer at thefellowship.cc. Just let us know who you are. Let us know how we can help. Let us know how we can either introduce you to Jesus or to help you take the next step in practicing the ways of Jesus as a disciple. We want to do this because we know that Jesus changed everything and he is our Lord, our master, our life. We don't have life apart from him. And in a dead culture that is moving at a frenetic pace that needs answers and needs the love of Jesus, needs the life of Jesus, we, the church, want to be that, and we want to help you to do the same. So 
Reach out to us today. Email us at prayerofthefellowship.cc. Today, um, let's respond in worship by slowing down. Today, let's be like Jesus by slowing down.